Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this point in the service where we sit before you and, Father, we hear from you through your word, we pray, Father, that just as we have sung this song, O Father, may you breathe new life into our willing souls. We pray, Father, that this morning you will find our hearts exactly like that. Open, Father, to what you have to say. Obedient, Father, to what you say. Trusting to your word and what you say. Father, what you say to us is difficult, for sure, because we are just mere human beings. But, Father, with the help of your Holy Spirit in us, Father, we can be all that you want us to be, more like your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you again for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. When we think of great believers as examples of Christ's likeness, we all have our favorites. I have my favorites. You have your favorites. Um, in fact, we have so many favorites and they're so dear to us that we even name our children after them. <laughs> like, for example, in the Old Testament, we would like to choose words, uh, names like Daniel, Joshua, Ruth, Esther, you know, all great giants of the faith. We come to the New Testament, we would like to choose John and Paul and Martha and all of these people. We just have this vision of, of who we would like our children to be or who we can honor uh, by naming our children after them. Uh, they, if we look at them, they were bold and they were brave. They were gifted and greatly used of God. They are examples of deep abiding faith and devotion. They suffered they sacrificed, and they served the Lord. They were worthy examples, each and every one of them. What is there not to desire? What is there not to want with these folks? But to us mere mortals, these heroes of the faith give us, while they give us spiritual virtues and ideals to aspire to in our own lives, they also raise a real problem. What's the problem? Most of us who serve the Lord probably believe that we could never be like these giants of the faith. That is until now when we meet Epaphroditus, when we meet Epaphroditus. For a short time, I invite you to join me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 to 30, and see what encouragement he can be to us in our service to the Lord. To better understand what Paul is writing about, we need to ask ourselves some important questions. One of those is, where does Epaphroditus come into the picture in the book of Philippians? Okay, how does he fit into all of this? And so, the first thing is, Paul speaks to the matter of unity, starting in chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind and maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Unity among God's people is a must. It is really a necessity among God's people. It is a source. It is a fountain of joy. When God's people are united, there is joy in the fellowship. And so Paul addresses that. Paul tells us how to uh, how unity is achieved in verses 3 to 4. Listen to this very carefully. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. 
but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is how unity is achieved by this submissive mindset that he raises here to us. But again, but again, and when we see this develop in the book of Philippians, Paul gives us four examples of this mindset. And he starts, of course, with Jesus Christ. Then Paul himself offers himself as an example. And then he gives Timothy as an example. And then someone named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, okay? And this is where he fits. Now, you are right to ask the question, Epaphroditus who? (laughs) You know, know, in all these years, I I have never heard anybody who named their child Epaphroditus, okay? I never heard that. But nevertheless, he is worthy. He is a worthy individual. And so uh, you are right to ask who he is. He is not mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. You don't find his name. He is not described as being of any notable importance, stature, or notoriety. Okay, he doesn't stand out. He didn't write a book. He did not, you know, write a letter to the churches, anything like that. There's no record of him giving a sermon where hundreds would come to Jesus Christ. No, nothing like that. Okay, but yet he is highly praised by Paul. And the significant thing is, as you know, and I know, Paul is not easily impressed, is he? Paul has a very high bar. He sets a very high standard, but yet he heaps praise on this individual. Epaphroditus, he lived out the selfless, humble, sacrificial servant mindset of Christ, which is a must to the furtherance of the gospel. This is Epaphroditus, and we'll learn more about him as we go along. And this brings to us great... uh, application because any member of a church or organization would immediately recognize the great challenge to being unified today. It is increasingly hard to navigate the troubled waters of our present day culture. Every day it seems like it, it every day it seems like getting agreement and consensus and to be focused and united about anything seems to be harder and harder to do. Everyone seems to be intent on doing what they believe is right and in their own sight and in their own way. The submissive, sacrificial, servant spirit of Christ is a major element for believers to be unified and further the gospel. And it it bears us, uh, we should... uh, Uh, Keep this in mind as it is time to go back to what God says about what to do and how to do it. So pay careful attention to Epaphroditus example. This is something that probably while not much is said about him, his example speaks loudly to us. Epaphroditus has a lot to show us about the submissive mindset of Christ. Well, what are those things that he demonstrates? First of all, in verse 25, he is a man who had many roles. He's a man who had many roles. Look at verse 25. 
It says in verse 25, But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is your messenger and minister to my needs. Did you catch all the different titles and roles that are assigned to him? Well, for example, first of all, he was a brother. He is part of the same family. He is part of the same family. He's not a stranger. Not a mere friend or acquaintance. He was family. There was a precious familial bond. When we serve together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are more than mere co-laborers and co-workers. We are first and above all else brothers and sisters in Christ in the family of God. We should love and treat one another accordingly. Loving one another and going the extra mile for one another. Okay? This is plainly clear. Paul had a deep affection for Epaphroditus. And he recognized him as a brother in Christ. As part of the same family. Secondly, he calls him a fellow worker. He is part of the same team. He is part of the same team. The Greek word actually carries even a heavier uh, meaning because it literally means an affectionate partnership, an affectionate partnership. This term was a term that Paul used almost exclusively. It is used 13 times in the New Testament and 12 of them by Paul. This if this title fellow co-worker would have deep meaning for Paul. We are part of the same team. We are not alone in the cause of Christ. God has assembled us together to do something we cannot do by ourselves. With the help of one another, we can make disciples of all nations. Together with the Lord's enablement, we can go farther, faster, and longer than we could by just ourselves. It's almost like saying, I need you. You need me, and we are to get. We uh, are together in this endeavor. We are on the same team. Please, 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 never forget that. As we work together, as we labor together in the church for the cause of Christ, remember that we are brothers and sisters in the same family. Remember that we are fellow coworkers. We are on the same team. We are on the same team. Well, as if that weren't enough, Paul heaps another one on him. He says he calls Epaphroditus a fellow soldier. We are part of the same war, of the same struggle, if you will. Okay? Paul often had to defend and fight for the faith. I'm not telling you anything new. You know that. Whether it was uh, the Pharisees or the philosophers, he had his hands full. Whether he faced the hostile crowds or high government officials, he was always in the midst of a struggle. And guess what? He sees Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier. He was part of that struggle. They had a common enemy. Satan, the flesh, and the world, the Bible identifies them as. And he says, we, you, I, we're all together in this struggle. 
as fellow soldiers, we need to stay focused on the mission. Fighting for the eternal souls of boys and girls, men and women, individuals and families. The military motif is well accepted in Christian circles. I grew up in the day and age where onward Christian soldiers were sung almost every week. You know, and we were just ready to march out of that church and go conquer the world for the Lord. You see, because we had that motif. We had that soldier mindset. Well, unfortunately, somehow we've lost our way. Instead of fighting sin, spiritual forces or the system of the world, we have taken up fighting with one another. We have taken up fighting with one another. No wonder the faith is struggling to make an impact in a fallen world today. We must not forget we are part of the same war for the gospel. My wife and I attended a pastor's conference in Portland, Oregon one year. And the speaker was a very notable person. And he was speaking to all the pastors. And I would never have ever thought he would have spoken on this topic, but he did. And this topic was Christians shoot their own wounded. They shoot their own wounded. And when you get that picture in your mind, you can't erase it so easily. You can't. Because you see and you look around and you see in the body of Christ so many hurting people. People who are striving to live for the Lord and trying to uh, you know, make, a, make their way in this life through all of his trials and tribulations. And instead of helping them. Fellow Christians are shooting them. That has stayed with me for a long, long time and has shaped much of my ministry. I don't ever want to be a believer, a fellow brother in Christ who shoots the wounded. And so this is the story. We are fellow soldiers in this struggle. We are part of the same war to free people from the power and penalty of sin. But lest we think of Epaphroditus is being on this high pedestal, <laughs> a brother of Paul, oh, you know, a fellow co-worker, oh, and then, you know, a fellow soldier. Oh, it's too much to bear. Look at how Paul ends it up. He says also, he is a messenger and minister to my needs. A messenger is who? He's the official representative of someone else. You know, we are all fond of saying, hey, don't shoot the messenger. I just brought the message, <laughs> you know, because we see ourselves, you know, as mailmen. We see ourselves as delivering things. He was willing to be the messenger and he was willing to minister to the needs of Paul. Epaphroditus was a humble messenger sent to deliver the offerings from the Philippians to Paul and to serve Paul as needed. He was gladly uh, willing to do so at whatever personal cost or effort. It also says that coming to Rome from Philippi was a 1,300-kilometer 1300 boat trip across the Mediterranean Sea. It was a dangerous trip. It was a dangerous voyage. Travelers were susceptible to contracting all kinds of diseases, such as Rome fever. It was a, it also Epaphroditus probably missed his family and friends, the comfort of his home church, in order to minister in a pagan culture. All of that, whatever the cost, he was willing to do. Epaphroditus served in many different notable roles. Minister, messenger, soldier, co-worker, 
brother in Christ. That was Epaphroditus. But Paul shares with us another virtue of Epaphroditus that shows his selfless humility and sacrificial servant mindset in verses 26 to 27. Do you see it? Do you hear it? In verses 26 through 28, he is a man who puts others ahead of himself. He puts others ahead of himself. Look at verse uh, 25. If you go back to verse 25, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. He was sending him back home. He was sending him back home. And then in verses 26 through 27, he gives them the reasons why. He says in verse 26, he says, um, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. What this tells us is that Epaphroditus must have been greatly loved by the Philippian believers. And so they were upset. They were deeply concerned. The word distressed means super concerned. Why? Because they had heard that he was sick. He certainly was sick to the point of death even. He was at death's door. Well, the question would come up, I suppose, that, uh, yeah, that some people would say, why be so concerned about, about Epaphroditus? He's in the presence of the apostle Paul. If the Apostle Paul wanted to, he could have healed him in a word, right? But the scripture tells us that it wasn't the Apostle Paul who healed him. It was God who had mercy on him. So this wasn't the first time that the Apostle Paul had left in the presence of someone who was sick. Paul didn't heal everybody who was sick around him. All right. Perhaps this is an indication, as in Second Timothy chapter uh, four, that the apostolic gifts were already beginning to fade and God was replacing the gifts and signs with other things. But in this case, Paul didn't heal him and he was to the point of death. But God uh, did um, uh, heal him. And so Paul also shared the same concern if you look at verse 28, therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. I was trying to think of an example about this and I have to think of my mother. I mean, my mother, we always worried that she worried too much. <laughs> she was always worried about what we caught and what we didn't catch. And so she was always concerned about us. And maybe perhaps that was the Philippian church. They heard that their beloved Epaphroditus was very ill. And Epaphroditus says, there's only one way to solve this. Send me home so they can see me. And that they can see that, I'm, that God has shown me mercy and that I am well. He put the interests of others before himself. Both Epaphroditus and Paul shared this unique concern for the needs of others above their own. And they lived us out in the decisions they made and the actions they took. They really did live. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You know, it's one thing to think about doing this and another thing to do it. To really put the needs of others before 
our own. James said this, even so, if uh, faith with no works is dead, being by itself. We say that we have concern for others, but do we put our words into action? You see, that is where the rubber meets the road. I was so blessed a few weeks ago. I heard the story of a church member in God's family that takes public transportation to visit members of GBC who cannot get out as often as they used to. And each time that they go, you know what they do? They cook something. They lovingly, tenderly prepare something and bring it to these people they are about to visit. You know, I I was just overwhelmed and convicted, I suppose, in many ways by the testimony of this dear member of GBC. It's one thing to think about putting the needs of others above our own, but it is quite another to put it into action. But that's what Paul did. That's what Epaphroditus did. Paul could have easily said, no, 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 I I need Epaphroditus here. Who's going to do my laundry? (laughs) You know, who's going to fetch my food? You know, who's going to cook for me? Who's going to wash the dishes? He could have said all of that. But he said, no, no, I eagerly send Epaphroditus to you. Epaphroditus had that selfless, selfless humility of Christ that puts the interests of others before his own But there's one more thing I want you to notice. And I hope you don't go over it too quickly. I hope you don't dismiss it too too easily. And this is found in verses 29 and 30. Epaphroditus was a man worthy of honor. Worthy of honor. Listen to verses uh, uh, 29 to 30. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy. And hold men like him in high regard. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. It says, receive him with joy, not with criticism or negative second guessing. I can imagine some people seeing Epaphroditus come to church for the first time upon his return. And maybe some people would say this. Paul didn't like you, did he? Paul didn't like you, did he? He he sent you back to us. You were not very faithful and you gave up and had to come back. You know, there would be some people who think that way. That's sometimes our default mechanism, you see. And so he says, no, when you see him, celebrate with joy. And then he says, hold men like him in high regard. Paul came right out and said it. He says, men like this are rare. Men like this are precious and they ought to be held in high regard. They should be esteemed. Why? Because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Epaphroditus was willing to give his, whole, his all, his life for the work of Christ. He risked his life to complete what you are unable to do. He came in your place. He came in your place. You want to be thankful for this person. That raises the question. Raises the question. We all want honor, don't we? We all don't mind honor. But are we willing to do what it takes to deserve that honor? Ah, 
Then that's a different story, you see. And so what we are what we must ask ourselves, what are we willing to risk our lives for? For the work of Christ? A bigger question still is what we are willing to, what are we willing to sacrifice for? What are the lengths we are willing to go to do this? We speak a lot about revival. We do not but do we realize that part of spiritual revival is heeding the call of Christ to risk our lives if need be, to sacrifice something dear to our hearts. Perhaps it's our plans, it's our dreams, it's our goals, it's our ambitions. All of those things. Are we willing to set those aside for Jesus Christ if he should call us to do so? The Bible says man can't serve God and mammon. This is found in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. Epaphroditus was willing to risk his life to go all out of his comfort zone to serve God. Are we willing to do so? If we are not willing to do so, then revival is very far off. Because the history of the Bible is that God constantly challenges his people with making the hard choices and making the hard decisions. And when they do, that's when revival comes. So please, don't speak to me about revival, revival, revival. What are you waiting for? Lightning bolt from heaven? Yeah, it could happen that way. But more than likely, it'll be God that will come to you and you and you and me and come to each one of us and say to us, what are you willing to risk for me? What are you willing to sacrifice for me? And when we make that commitment, that is when revival begins to come to God's people. In the eyes of God, those willing to risk all for Christ are worthy to be honored. Now, what's something here to be learned, something here to, to live? What is it? Make no mistake, the church needs More people like Paul and Epaphroditus. People who know their role or roles as part of the same family, the same team, the same conflict. Humbly serving God, one another, and the greater community at large. They need to carry out those roles with utmost dedication and sacrifice. Even at risk to themselves. Maybe perhaps it would be easier to understand if I gave you a little bit of a picture of how God led us here to GBC. At first, it wasn't very clear to me what God exactly wanted, how he could use me. I I can't speak 20 dialects. I can't eat hot food. I can't stand really hot weather. Okay? So, God... What can you do with me, (laughs) you know, in a place like this? And then slowly over time, as I got to learn to, to know and love the people here, I began to realize a little bit more clearly what it is that God was asking me to do. He brought me here on a mission to help GBC to be a strong community of grace. A community that learns the word of God. And lives it. He brought me here. To help build a community. That extends grace. To others. 
He brought me here to build a community that is united around the plans and purposes of God. To reach all of Singapore with the gospel and to teach those who accept God's offer of salvation, the word of God and the ways of God. Now, that doesn't sound very sexy. It doesn't sound very hyped. This is more of a personal thing that God gave to me. As I looked over the years, I praise God that there's a lot that he has done. But there's a long way yet to go. There's a long way yet to go. Grace is being raised up, I believe, in this time to do even greater things for him in Singapore. But it has to be united. It has to be united. Leaders need to be united with the Lord and in submission to the guidance of the Spirit of God, using the Word of God, submitting to one another under the leadership of the Spirit of God. Members of the body need to be submissive to the Lord, submissive to the leaders as they endeavor to follow the Lord, as brothers, as fellow co-workers and fellow soldiers. As long as we stay divided, each one doing what is right in their own eyes, it makes us easy targets to be picked off, isolated, and neutralized. That is the facts. Individuals and families will not be reached. Spiritual lives will not be revived, let alone buildings erected to serve the Lord and the community at large. The leaders need to be united with the Lord and with one another. People need to be united to the Lord and with the leaders and with one another. How is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? It's only going to happen if we see each other as servants, as part of the same family, the same team, and the same struggle. This will bring us together. This will bring us together. But this is a decision that only you can make. No one else in this room can make it for you. It's a matter of your heart before the Lord. It is possible to live out the selfless, humble mindset of Christ in our daily lives. Living this way comes at a high price. But in the end, as we saw in Epaphroditus' life, it is worthy of honor in the sight of God. Are you willing to be and live like Epaphroditus today to carry out your roles at all costs, to put others ahead of yourself. God is waiting for you to decide and act. It would be a mistake to keep God waiting. He will honor all who are like Epaphroditus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
looking deep into our hearts today. Help us to see what you see. Help us to want what you want. May your will be done and not our own. Father, Epaphroditus has truly set a clear example for us. Now may we each be found as faithful as he. And Father, may your gospel, may your plan of salvation go forth in power and might. We sang a song not too long ago. And it's just before this message. But the sentiment of it at the end was that we would be united and that the face of Jesus would be seen clearly by the world. Father, work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.